Welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash Alumni. Cash Alumni is the fastest growing association of professionals in care, health and education. And we're happy to have you here. This is where you'll hear from specialists and experts from across our network. Here's what's coming up. And so sometimes we have to think about reflecting outside of the box and thinking about our professional practice and who we are as individuals and what we can really gain and apply to ourselves and for the children and celebrate their uniqueness. We have to celebrate ours and it's a continuous journey. Let's jump in to this week's episode. So I started my career as a nursery nurse and NEB. I'm not even going to tell you what year that was. And now I think, you know, there's been a, a lot of change in the sector and I probably would be called a teaching assistant now or an early years practitioner. I then went on to do a higher level teaching assistant. I've worked in specialised provision with challenging children. And then I sort of fell into teaching. I don't know how, but anyway, that's what I did. And I, and I worked for quite a while in, in further education, teaching, lecturing, professional development manager in charge of initial teacher ed and the pastoral provision. Um, and then when COVID struck, I sort of had a change of career. I took it on board to take the chance to do something different. So I was very brave and very courageous. And I just left the post because I wanted to write more. And as you will know, I certainly have. So I started my PhD. So in a couple of years time, I should be like, you'll be saying Dr. Pendry. And I know that's quite pretentious, but it means such a lot to me from someone who was on a council estate told she was never going to do very good for herself, I guess is what the career person said. So now I am an associate lecturer. So I do some guest lecturing for universities. I'm an author, quite an established author now, still writing, lots of projects on the go, being invited to write for yourselves and other networks Uh, and I'm also an external examiner for HE programs so the BA in early childhood and youth and social work programs for a couple of different sectors. I'm busy doing a whole lot of um, (laughs) nothing-ish. It seems like my days are filled with a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of the other but it makes it very very interesting. Amazing. So what was it that made you want to write rather than deliver in the like because obviously you were already delivering knowledge that was what you were doing. What was it that made you want to do that in such a different way to how you were doing it already? I've always had and I think you know as nurse nurses, teaching assistants, early as practitioners we're creative souls. We, we make magic out of a cardboard box and I always had that creative side. I always loved literature. I always loved reading. I guess I was a bit squished in the ability to write because of, well, because of having a full-time job and then also having to have, and rightly so, ethically having your writing checked when you're in an institution. And so by the time sometimes the writing was checked, if you like, the moment had passed because you know what it's like. It's like the buzz at the moment is artificial intelligence. So you want to write about it now. You don't want it to be published in six or seven weeks' time. And so I felt at the same time that and studying was slipping somehow. And so then I thought, right, okay, the only way I'm going to write a book is by dedicating some time to it, finding my path, finding my way. And I had a couple of rejections and you have to suck those up and think, no, come on, you can do this, Annie. And now I'm two books published. Third book has gone to the publishers just a couple of weeks ago. And I can't tell you anything else yet, but there's something bubbling, you know, and now I'm just like so happy at my laptop in my own little space, writing and scribing. That's really exciting. The first time we caught up, you'd just finished writing your first book. So the fact that you've done three now in what I suppose is three years, 
think it's just over two actually dawn it just over two? yeah yeah. Wow. Like, so your first book was about reflection specifically for practitioners in the early years. Tell us a little bit about the next two. The second one that's out at the moment is Reflection and Reflective Spaces in Early Years. And that came about really on the back of book one thinking I've told people sort of how to reflect and how to maybe write reflectively and how to do some pre-reflection. But had I told enough people about what they could do in their professional practice, how they could look at spaces for themselves and for the children and for practitioners. And so I was working with a nursery looking at Ikigai, the reason for being, and some journaling. And it started with the practitioners. It was at the time when children had just gone back to practice via, you know, after COVID. And a lot of the children were struggling to socialise, communicate. And so together, collectively, we started this sort of organic research about finding a space for children to find who they were again, to adjust to settings. And from that dawn came the Blossom Room. You know my work is like ingrained in Japanese philosophy and approaches. And so we looked at Abadari, which means just like the seasons, we all change, grow and develop at different points. And we're brilliant at that when we work with children or young adults not so sure we're good at it ourselves. And so in the second book, it looks at your spaces, it looks at what you can do influencing your practice, your spaces you provide for children, but also about yourself. And so a couple of people have already reviewed, Annie, this is a summer reading to think about myself, not just my, you know, not just the practice and the children. My third book, which has just gone to the publishers and had a little thumbs up and said, well done, Annie, you've done that one okay as well. And it's called... um, being, becoming and thriving as an early years practitioner. So it takes, it's got three themes, Dawn, and it takes practitioners on a journey from being to becoming to thriving. So we look at being and things like learning to play. I had to learn to play. You know, I was thrown into placement and said, there you go. There's some children. <laughs> I was, okay, now what do I do? So I talk about, you know, it's okay to learn to play. It's okay to find out who you are. Sit and take some time and think about who you are as an individual, your professional values, your personal values, where they sit in the institution, where they sit within yourself. And then it moves on to becoming. And we talk about things like being humanistic, the professional love you give to children, how you look through different lenses at how children play. It really is like a starter kit, if you like. And then thriving is about continuous reflection, thinking about your professional development And I talk about research and and how you can start research and people usually go, oh, no, not research, because it can be a little bit challenging. But this research is about, you know, you're constantly doing it all of the time, but you don't know it. Maybe you're not recording it. So there's that in there as well. And then your future for thriving in the early years sector, which we know is challenging and really hard work. So that's where I'm at. And then I've got another project, which is, as I said, is bubbling and I'm sworn to secrecy. So I can't say any more about that just yet. You know, the whole three books is about finding out who you are and and celebrating your, and I, I say this a lot, your perfectly imperfect self and learning from errors and challenges. And I don't want to call them mistakes, but, you know, wallowing in the, in the challenging moments really, because that's what helps you thrive as a practitioner. It sounds like the central thread to all three of your books so far has been that piece around reflection. I suppose what made that the thing that you 
so passionate about that you wanted to write three books about it and maybe more <laughs> yeah I think it started off with um I was given a, a module um in further education it's got to be about four years ago now maybe five I stood in front of a set of really disengaged practitioners well budding practitioners who you know and their actual words were gosh this module's boring you know theories boring you know and why are we doing this you know we know about the play side of theory we know about pioneers why are we reflecting on it and it really sort of opened my eyes to thinking okay we can't just teach theory after theory after theory we have to let these individuals find out who they are themselves first and then we have to teach reflective theory as a component of if you like so they can see the synergy between reflection and theory so they're continually doing it but what I also wanted them to do was really celebrate who they were, not to churn out just reflective accounts or look at critical incidents or have professional discussions and pop in the word I. I wanted them to really look at themselves. And so that's what brought it about. And I continue to do it. And I talk a lot, Dawn, about really taking time to look at your gifts and experiences, because I think sometimes we forget those. We've got a whole set of gifts within us and we're all completely different. And that's great. And we all have a different set of experiences. And even the negative experiences shape you as a practitioner. So I don't think I've said everything I need to say yet with all the books. So there's probably some more to come. But I think it's about that. And I say it a lot, you know, just wallow in the moment and think, what, what can I improve on? What can I develop? Who am I? Um, because whoever you were, and I think this is a Lewis Carroll quote, whoever you were yesterday, you're not the same person today. And you're not going to be the same person tomorrow. And it's it's that continuous journey that's really important in our in our professional practice. That's great. And why particularly the Japanese philosophy stuff? Like what what is it about that? Bit? I think we live in a very noisy world, and I think we live in a shouty world, and we live in a rushed world. And I've always loved Japanese approaches. It's it's just my my thing, and I think they've got just a lot to add. And it's about that really celebrating your, you know, your wabi-sabi that you are perfectly imperfect. We're not all Mary Poppins. We might have a bag of tricks that we bring out, which we do in early years. We collect all kinds of things. But, you know, we get things wrong. And I think we, sometimes we just get very upset if we are seen as, if it's a negative experience, if we're not, if we haven't done something perfectly. And it's okay because we would celebrate children getting it wrong and we would celebrate children resilience and having another go but I'm not sure we do it very well ourselves and I think we need to stop the rush we need to develop as we develop you know we don't we might have, might have a qualification and we've got to get through set processes but we all develop very differently and at different points and at different stages and then, and then there's the icky guy you know your reason for being you can just sit and keep doing that every so often because things change for you month in and month out and I just you know it's just my passion it's it's my real energy that, that helps me with my writing. Obviously you've talked about some of the tools there for doing some reflection and the way that it can help with like discovering who you are but what about in the the day-to-day -day? like why is reflection so important if we're moving on all of the time? I think it's really important because sometimes and I think this a lot we are measured by standards and we're often valued by the measurement of standards and those standards are sometimes put upon us. And we have to sometimes step back in that and reflect in and on action about what it is, 
we actually need or what the children actually need from us. And so sometimes we have to think about reflecting outside of the box and thinking about our professional practice and who we are as individuals and what we can really gain and apply to ourselves and for the children and celebrate their uniqueness. We have to celebrate ours and it's a continuous journey. It helps us in our developmental goal setting. It helps us in our courageousness, our resilience and discovering who we are and our professional identity and values it's weird because reflection is one of those things that sounds like something that we should just be able to do because I mean I suppose I'm quite a reflective person like I never know how I feel about something in the meeting that it happens in I need time to have a good little think about it before I come back with questions and stuff like that I know that that's not everybody and some people move like moment to moment to moment and and don't really stop to think I suppose even me as quite a reflective person sometimes that when you reflect on the bad things or the things that I found difficult I don't always take time to reflect on the things that went well or to think about the things that I've just been able to tick off my list how can people start to think about reflection like what would you suggest that people do who are at that very beginning bit of their reflective journey? I think you have to start off with giving yourself time to reflect. It isn't, you know, you might be doing it in the here and the now, but like you say in a meeting, and I'm exactly the same, I can listen to a a whole thread throughout a meeting, but it won't impact on me until afterwards. And that's okay. So I think the best thing to always do is grab yourself a reflective journal. And you don't have to write words, you can draw a picture, you can doodle. It's capturing those moments. If you if you want to you know, do a voice note on your phone, it's that kind of thing. What impact did it have on me today? It could be one word, you know, one, one affirmation word that you've picked up throughout the day. And it's finding the beauty within your practice, your celebratory bits that you talked about, Dawn. And, and you know, Wobby Cyber talks about that. It's finding the beauty in imperfections, the beauty in perfection, everything that you've done wonderfully. So it's a process. It's not to be rushed. You know, you can't write a reflective count in 10 minutes and not think about it deeply and you know address it widely and think about all the factors that go with it and I think you need to discover yourself it's a journey it's reflection and you need to spend time about thinking who you are and I've said this before what are your professional values what are your personal values do they meet you know journaling is a big thing for me and it's it's not just when I say it's not it's not a pen and paper activity necessarily you know sometimes I will just draw something sometimes I'll just have one word in a page of a book so I might have sat in a 20-minute meeting as a student might have sat in a half-an-hour lecture and all I've taken from it is one word. But that word and that impact is reflection. It's not a thing, it's a process and it's a continuous process. I definitely get that. I started journaling again recently. I think I lost it a little bit because my life became quite chaotic outside of work. My husband not being very well and there being just a lot on. And I found it very difficult to find the headspace to sit and to journal because they always felt like there was something more important to do and even if I sat and tried the only things that I could think of to write down were the factual things that had happened that day like writing a diary rather than writing a reflective journal. I went out of my way to find a guided journal where it gave us some prompts where I could answer some questions that would dig a little bit more like um, mine was quite a sweary guided journal so I asked things like who the bleep hole of the day was um, and things like that so that I could think about maybe some of the things that hadn't done quite well or some of those like relationship aspects but I also found it quite helpful to like I got myself what I call the, the spiritual almanac which is a book that talks about like 
the phases of the moon, what foods are in season and what you can do with them and just little like ritualistic things that you can do to think about how you feel at this time of year and stuff like that. How did you get into journaling? Like it seems dead simple to say like start a journal and you're talking about like obviously having the time like or having the space to draw instead of to write things down and stuff like that but were there stepping stones to get you to that point because i've always been a creative soul i've probably done it without thinking that i've been doing it does that make sense i've probably like took a photograph and it's been a, like an integral vision board really it's been like the journey of the month or the, the year but i think it was covid that restruck it and and said to me like you know you've got to do something with your life and you know Family had been, you know, it had been, you know, as you know, and if people who are listening, COVID really struck my family very, very negatively. And it changed our whole outlook on life completely. And it still does today. I came across and I, I was, I'd got my books out and I was reading, I'd got pens out and, you know, I'm no, no artist at all. I don't like journals that are perfect. I think, you know, that's, I don't want to see you've got a fantastically drew piece of uh, artwork. It's all about it's scruffy, it's messy, it's wallowing, and it's got to be, you know, purposeful. So what I came across, first of all, and reignited me, Dawn, was that Cowell River. The Cowell River is about finding your life's flow. And I think reflection is a flow. You know, you, you get stuck a little bit, but you have to find your way back out of it. So in, you know, we haven't got time to talk about this fully, but the Cowell River talks about, you know, rocks that are in the way that stop the life's flow, that stop the river flowing. And your driftwood which is your um, personal strengths and attributes that you've got. So during COVID, my river had gone from lovely flowing river with, you know, my strengths of creativity, organisation, lovely working family, hardly any rocks or challenges in the way. But then everything changed, you know. Um, my brother was really, really poorly. My parents, I couldn't see them. The whole family, the life's flow was just it was a trickle. And I sat journaling that and, and writing that down and, and drawing that and thinking, okay, so what can I do to improve life's flow? And that's what you do with reflection. It's in that improvement. What can you do in your journal that shows you that, okay, that didn't go quite well. That was challenging. That was a big heavy boulder that came down and smashed into that river. And I probably got soaking wet. But what can I do now? So I do a few sessions on the Cowell River and it's not meant to be potentially a well-being session or a counselling session. It just is a sort of really good infographic to show you how you could start your reflective journey and what support, especially for students, they might need. And they can highlight that, draw that, go and speak to their tutors, speak to their assessor and, and start that reflective journey. And, and that's how I got into it. And now it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, it's watch Emmerdale, or it's journal. So I'm going to watch. No, I'm not going to watch Emma Dale. I'm going to journal. And as I say, it's not every single day, probably some not every single week, but it might be something you see on Twitter. You think, oh, that's really good. That's a great word I need to capture. How does that word influence my practice? It is as simplistic as that, or as complicated as you want to make it. Yeah, I did say something the other day that made us think of you, actually. I think when you're talking about, like, it might not be words, you might want to draw something, is that I saw something on, I think it was Instagram, where it was talking about, if you can't find the headspace to journal, start by talking to yourself in the car. It was that idea that you can almost, like, coach yourself through things by having that two-way conversation just with yourself whether that's with a pen and paper or verbally while you're doing the dishes have an argument with yourself and you know get it out of your out of your system or spark yourself ignite yourself and 
and then start being that reflection for everybody else, you know, because children demand a lot of us, our peers do, but we need some time for ourselves to find out who we are for ourselves and where we're going next and to find as the K-Rover tells us, that life's flow. And that re-energised me. And that's why I ended up changing complete career path. And the Roxon have changed because I earn hardly anything compared to what I did before. My river is flowing and I have so many wonderful connections and I have so many opportunities to do other things that potentially I may not have done if I had not journaled. And life finds you in your flow. This is Podcash, brought to you by Cash Alumni. For discounts on everything from Apple products to MOTs, visit the cashback page of cashalumni.org.uk. That's cashalumni.org.uk. I think we're all feeling a little bit weird at the minute about what life's doing. COVID obviously is one of those things that in some way impacted everyone whether it was the big impact that it had on your family or whether it was just that our lives had to change for such a weird amount of time and that feeling of the unknown became much more continuous that that we just got used to not knowing what was coming next. In early years education and I think in academia as well in that sort of university and and, and college teaching and and side of things that that there's a requirement to do some reflective practice to reflect on things that have gone well or things that have not gone so well do you think that habit that you will have had to develop as an early years practitioner and then working in the academic world helped with the move into to reflective practice being more of a way of life for you? Honestly, when I when I did my NEB, I can't recall being asked to reflect. I recall churning out hundreds of observations. And don't get me wrong, they did me the world of good. I remember having a conversation with uh, a tutor about not particularly liking a placement and told, go and get on with it. There was no reflective conversations. And so I think I lost myself a little bit. And I think now in the sector, we're much, much better at that. We listen. We care, we nurture, we use these reflections to support our students. And then it becomes an integral part of hopefully your life. And if your students can't see that is an integral part of life as a student and life as an individual, then maybe it's time to rejig the module, look at the assessments, get back into this Japanese sort of approaches, which you know, I'll continue to sell, if you like, just so students get to feel that they have to find out who they are. So I think we've come a long way from when I was um, a nursery nurse and, and that we do listen and we do care and we do encourage reflection. But how we do that is important. So it shouldn't be rushed. It shouldn't be like, here's an incident, reflect on it now and then forget about it. It has to be this continuous practice. It's almost reframing our reflective questions as tutors as assessors when we're doing our professional discussions and and sometimes that's fearful for students because in academia we tend to remove ourselves and our souls when we're writing because we're doing third person um, a lot of the time so suddenly to write in the first person and to bear your soul and be open and honest actually feels a bit painful for some people And it can be a bit raw. And I talk about that in the second book, and that's hand say. And it's learning to stay. And I think it's a little bit of shun, really. When you stay in that swamp, you stay where it's a bit sticky and muddy. And, and, you know, and then you come out of it the other side, looking at your practice. So I think we've come an awful long way from my tutor saying to me, oh, well, never mind. Get on with it. When we got our grades back, there was never any reflection. That's your grade. Don't ask me about it. That's what it is. 
we have these reflective conversations now. So I think it's a big integral part of what we do. We just need to make sure that we don't lose ourselves in it and that we continue to find out who we are as individuals as well as professionals because it is a really powerful tool. So for anyone whose experience of reflective practice is a little bit more like yours was when you were in early years um, as a practitioner and they maybe feel a little bit more like reflection and feedback is more about just telling them the things they've done wrong so that they can know they've done something wrong and they're maybe a little bit more scared of reflective practice. Have you got any tips for them on how they can use this stuff to to be better practitioners? I, I, I think so. I think it's about, I think right at the beginning, we talked about gifts and experiences and looking at the positives equally or even more so than the negatives. You know, journal all the gifts that you bring to your job. Journal all the experiences that you have had, positive or negative. You can look at those. You can be open, you can be honest, and you can start to think to yourself, how does this link to what I want as an individual? What do I want as a professional? It can give you a developmental plan. You know, just because you are creative, are we using enough of your creative skills? Because what we're looking at when you're journaling is your curious self, your inner motivation, your inner drive to be that next part of your journey, to move on to your next piece of academic journey or professional journey, whatever it is you want to be. So I think if you are already a practitioner, there is scope for you to use journaling to experience and to feel all those wonderful things you bring to your practice. Um, And I know I remember working with there was three of us in the nursery and we were all completely different. And my gifts and experiences were completely different to my other two colleagues. But we used to sit down and we used to think, well, okay. And we'd bring our journals out at the time and we'd think about what we've got to do next with the curriculum or with the building or with the environment. And we'd reflectively chat about who'd got that gift, who'd got that experience in order to do the next process, if you like, for the children or the community, wherever we were doing. And I would also encourage you to get other people's perspectives. So I think it's about not just your own, but using some of Brookfield's lenses and asking your colleagues what they see in you, your gifts, asking the children. You know, the children used to say to me, lipstick, because I've constantly got my lipstick on. What, what's good about me? You know, they'd say, oh, pretty lipstick. You know, but but that meant I had a persona, you know, that meant I was there and I was present for the children, if you like. So getting other people's perspectives in your reflective journey is also really, really important. And the more you journal and the more you reflect, you'll find other pathways, you'll find other twists and other turns that you might take that you didn't ever ever envisaged taking that's that that's really insightful I think that idea of getting other people's perspectives is both really important but also sounds really scary that idea I suppose of like of putting yourself out there and saying like what do you think about this or even sharing your own reflections because again like sometimes it can be quite easy to say oh I'm terrible at that and and almost fish for reassurance but it, it, it's much scarier to say, I think I did this really well, like, because there's, the, I suppose, that worry about being knocked off your cloud um, when you think you've done something good and asking for, for feedback on that. So how should people ask for that feedback? Like, is, is it easier to be more direct and to ask, 
can you tell me what you think about me? Rather than, I suppose, doing that fishing where people might just agree with you when you see you're terrible at things and move on. I think students, as students, they probably gather this information anyway because it's part of their, you know, of their course. They have to get feedback from from their assessors, from their peers in, in placement. When we're qualified, I wonder if we do it enough. And I wonder if we only do it when it's appraisal time, you know, and we forget about the journey that we've been on. So I guess in your practice, it's about making it the organic part of your team meetings, your day, you know, that the level of gratitude, if you like, which which adds to life's flow. It's just saying to someone, I'm really grateful you've done that for me. I've noticed you've done that. It's also about this literature lens that you can take on board. So as a collective, you know, you could read one page of something and give all your viewpoints on it. Uh, and other people will feed back to you what they've seen. And you're gathering sort of organically then different people's perspectives. And if you've done something really awful, which you know, I, I doubt you have done, but it's good to hear it and it's good. You won't change and you won't develop if you don't take on board feedback. And if you do that organically, seamlessly, as part of your professional practice, you will improve. You know, I, I remember Dawn doing um, a cooking activity when I was a nursery nurse and I don't cook and I don't bake because I don't like it and because I'm no good at it. But I decided that I was going to you know in, um, embed maths, science, you know, communication, language, and it was going to be absolutely fantastic. It was absolutely awful. Um, I forgot to put the sugar in. I had a child who was projectile vomiting while I was doing it. And then I heard this voice because my name was Miss Ford then from the toilets going, Miss Ford, I think I need you. And so I'm cooking knowing there's an accident waiting for me in the in the toilets, you know. My neck went red. I was just like, the sweat was bailing out. I mean, all I was thinking about was that the peers around me are thinking, what is she doing? Everything's gone awfully wrong. And actually, the feedback, they said, they said, we don't know how you got through that, but you did it. You were resilient. And all they saw was my resilience and courageousness for doing something I shouldn't have probably put myself through. But if you've got that ethos and if you're able, then you take on board that feedback. And I probably have never baked ever since with a group of children but I've learned from it that using others lenses they saw the resilience in me the sense of humor you know when the cakes came out the oven and the children were wincing eating them and telling me how beautiful they were because they're team you aren't they the little ones in front of you but yeah so I think it's about showing gratitude for for everybody and starting to build the reflective culture and it doesn't have to be in the appraisal it can be something we do in team meetings, it can be doing something we do in our work day, but gathering other people's lenses about who you are as an individual as well as yourself. I hadn't thought about that sort of like continual feedback through something like, you know, like gratitude sharing and stuff like that. I, I thought more about it as being like a, a something you have to ask for thing, but an idea of like building the culture and having a, a culture of gratitude and of, of general feedback and picking out what people have done well is really nice and um, I remember a long time ago now speaking to a deputy nursery manager from up in Blythe from um, a nursery called Kerry's Cherubs for the podcast and they had a gratitude tree that parents and practitioners could write compliments for colleagues and put them on the tree and then at the end of the week they would go through the gratitude tree and talk about all of the lovely things that had been left on the gratitude tree that week and it just meant that everyone got that opportunity to to both hear nice things about themselves but also to give that 
praise to again like their colleagues or to hear it from parents which i think is often the thing that people aren't sure about is that like obviously i looking after people's most treasured people like that that's people that people care about most are their children a lot of the time that relationship with parents is that you're sharing things about their children and talking about all the things they've done well but that isn't always that opportunity for parents to tell you how well you're doing so them having access to that gratitude trait I thought was really nice we're, we're not very good at accepting praise though are we we're not very good we go oh is that about me oh gosh so embarrassed <laughs> but that's just what i do I, ju- I just did this it's my it's it's the the word i hate most about my job is that i hear lots of practitioners both in early years in education and in care who will say oh but i just and or oh, i am just which is even worse where it's it's not that I just did this, it's that I am only just. And you're like, no, 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 you are not just anything. You are a million amazing things. But I do think you're right in that that idea of that drip of positive feedback can sort of turn the tide and and help people to think a little bit more positively about themselves. I suppose, I know that your third book's due out, but you've got two that are out so far. Like, what are the main points from your books that you feel stand out that you'd share with people for a bit of that? If I just finish off what you were saying about the drip feeding and parents, my second book really involved parents because Play Days Nursery, who I worked with, who were absolutely wonderful. You know, I started with the practitioners looking at their own reflective practice, but where they created this space called the Blossom Room where children went down and actually, because it was in a cellar, it's a private nursery, it's a converted Victorian house, so in the cellar is this bespoke reflective space and you will actually watch the children, if ever you're fortunate to go, creep down the stairs because it's the quiet space. No one's told them to be quiet, but they know they're at one with themselves. They can be who they want to be. They're perfectly imperfect selves. They go down and they choose what they want to do, how they want to do it, and they look at their reason for who they are, what they love in nursery, what they don't. And in the second book, we connected with parents and parents were invited to this reflective space. And what it did, Dawn, was open conversations between practitioners, and I was fortunate to go along to a couple of them, where they they were telling us things about their children that they potentially wouldn't have done at the nursery door. The impact that reflection had had upon their children, they were taking some of the ethos of play days, awe and wonder and reflective spaces into their home space and saying, you know, I'm reflecting, using words like that at three and four, really, really powerful. So from book two, I think the main thing for me was about you seeing the beauty in yourself and your imperfections because we are measured so much and to appreciate the change in us. And some change isn't great, some change is painful, but more about really thinking about what your spaces look like for children. And, you know, it's the season at the moment where everybody's posting their perfect classrooms. The boards are up. You know, there's hessian or there's laminated, there's boards that really have little interaction from children because one, they're too high up. And the next one is, what's the purpose of these? So I think in book two, it's about finding spaces that children are part of. They live it. They're in that moment. They're in that space. They have chance for ease. They have chance to feel less rushed and to to speak and to talk. And also, it encourages practitioners to research. And I've done a research rainbow sort of overview of how you can research without looking at, you know, words like methodology and methods and 
they're there, but they're there with a little bit of kindness and, and wrap around them. And book one is all about, it goes back to finding out who you are and it is about discovering yourself. And it's got lots of reflective theory, which is linked to case studies. It's keeping it real. It's, you know, things do not go according to plan. I think my story of the cake baking is in there, along with the projectile vomiting. And what my tutor said to me at the end, which, you know, I and you hear, you see it on social media. I've got a professional discussion. I've got an observation from a student. I'm going to fail. They've told themselves they're going to fail before they even do it. But they forget about all the things we see in those lenses that we talked about earlier on that, that they potentially don't. Which then, those are the two books that are out. So they're both very different, but they've both got that seamless talk about reflection and reflective practice. I think the last thing to talk about is I've finally got myself a website because I've been so busy writing that I'm going to put little blogs on there, but they're not articles. They're, you know, we talked about before, Dawn, about these one-word things for journaling, these one-word things for reflection. I haven't got time to do lots and lots of articles, (laughs) but I have got time to share with you snippets of, how about this? How about this? How about this? So it's reflect connect.co.uk you can go on there you can look at a couple of blogs and you can think oh that might influence me journaling that might influence my reflective practice they're no longer than probably 300 words so they're really really snapshots I've got no podcasts on there because I'm too busy being guests on a podcast like yourself and it's not something I really want to do I want to ins- I want to spark things so that's why my blogs are short my my website is snappy and that's where I'm at at the moment and then of course I've got this other project that's bubbling away that I can't tell anybody about just yet but it's very very exciting thanks for listening to podcast if you enjoyed it please follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode you can also watch many of these conversations by heading over to cashalumni.org.uk and going to the cpd and best practice section of the site that's cashalumni.org.uk